Take your Bibles with me, Ephesians chapter 5. Just kind of let you know where we're headed before we do our review. We have about five weeks left in our study through the book of Ephesians. Uh, so for those of you who have not got your memory verses done, you've got five weeks left. That's a little reminder for that. Uh, but five weeks, we'll spend about three weeks here in Ephesians 5 and then two more weeks in Ephesians 6. And we'll uh, have walked through this book of Ephesians together. A little bit of a review before we dive in. Uh, and I say a little bit, maybe a little bit more than normal. Um, but what we've seen throughout this whole book of Ephesians so far, this letter that Paul would write, is this idea of unity, but, but kind of a bigger theme than that is this idea of a new temple that's not made with stone, but it's made with people, and it's made up of people from all tongues, tribes, and nations, right? So, so Jews and Gentiles, here's a church in Ephesus uh, that would gather together that's made up of Jew and Gentile, and Paul's writing for their unity. He's writing to remind them they, they are this new temple. So we sung this morning about the, the glory of God, that his glory would shine forth, and all those things like, like it shone forth in the temple. Right, Exodus, go read the story. Austin mentioned it even this morning. Like, go read the story of his glory shining forth. And what's the idea here in Ephesus is that now his glory is not shining through a building, but through a people. Okay, now, now throughout the whole book of Ephesians, we, we as Americans are going to struggle because it's this you all, you collectively, you as a group mentality. Right? And as an American, what do we tell our kids? We tell them to like, stand up and be their own person and, and stand out from the crowd and work hard. And, and over and over again, it's this idea of like you as the individual. And yet in their culture and even what Paul's writing, it's not just you as an individual, it's you as a group. So if we go back to our memory verse, uh, chapter 2, it's you all were dead. Like you collectively uh, bring all your value together as a group and you, guess what? You're still dead. And so we want to say, I was dead. And yet Paul says, no, all you all were dead. So this isn't about me as much as it's about us, right? And that's, for us in, in American culture, that's just hard to wrap our, our brain around. Okay, but, but before we, I'll, I'll maybe give an illustration of that. Before we do, I have this quote. I'm not quite sure where to put the quote. Still not quite sure where to put the quote, and I'm preaching it. Uh, but we're going to put it right here. Uh, this is from a book called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. Uh, in it, he says, so why go to church? Talking about this group mentality that would be present there in Ephesus and throughout the whole Bible. So why go to church? Why worship with a group? Because in some way, we may not fully understand, the Spirit indwells the group in a way that the, the Spirit does not indwell the individual. Right? So, so he's going to say more, but maybe just pause there for a second. Like, like hopefully we've realized that. Hopefully we've experienced listening to, to songs that maybe we even sing this morning by yourself and then singing songs together with a group. Like, hopefully we've realized that there's something different about being here together than it is just worshiping God on your own. But he's going to continue. We are built together to become one whole building, right? Ephesians chapter 3. A single dwelling for his spirit. Like it or not, we need each other. As Rodney Reeves noted, I cannot worship God by myself. Okay, so, so that's the picture though, right? The picture throughout all of Ephesians is that we are a group. We are doing this together and Paul's going to talk to them as a group, not necessarily as individuals. And I understand individuals make up the group, uh, but there's this idea of group that the church gathered is the gospel made visible, right? So if there's no church gathering, then, then there's a struggle to make the gospel visible at some level, okay? Let me walk through just a, two pointless illustrations, but hopefully they help us clarify. This week, I was taking Hattie to school uh, in my rear view mirror, I'm driving down Bee Ridge. In my rear view mirror, I see this SUV kind of flying up the right-hand lane. I'm in the left-hand lane. And I knew he was going to try and sneak through this gap that was probably not big enough for his car. Uh, but I could just tell he was in a hurry. So uh, two seconds later, next thing I know, he sneaks through this gap, cuts me off. Uh, and he had a, a sports logo on the back of his car. 
Right? And so we, if you follow sports, there's fan bases that you just think um, are idiots, right? Like you just think people that cheer for this team, like they're so annoying, they drive me nuts, I can't believe them, yada, yada, yada. So on the back of this car, that, that horrible driver cuts me off, there's this sports team that they cheer for. It was a baseball team. And for some of you right now, there's already a team in your brain. Like I know exactly who's on the back of that car, I can guarantee it. And for some of us, we probably have three or four. And guess what? It's not a team that we probably like. Right? Like if you're a Rays fan, you're not thinking, oh, I bet it was a Rays logo on the back of his car. Right? And some of you aren't going to listen to the rest of the message until I tell you what it was. So I'll tell you. It was a Yankees. Right? And what did I say to myself, somewhat as a joke, I said, of course a Yankees fan would cut me off. Right? But what's the thing? Is every Yankees fan a bad driver? Well, obviously, yes. No, that is not the truth. Right? But that's how we think. We think of a group. We think of a group of people who cheer for this baseball team, and we think of all of them exactly the same. Are they all the same? No, but at some level, there's a group. And as a group, this is what we think of them. Okay, another one, and this one's maybe a little more of a hot topic, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. If I were to say the statement, every Republican is, you think of one or two words. Every Democrat is, you think of one or two words. Right? If, if you have a good word for a Republican and a bad word for a Democrat, then we pro I probably know how you're going to vote. Vice versa, if you had a good word for a Democrat and a bad word for a Republican, we'd probably know how you vote. If you had bad words for both, then you're probably some sort of libertarian and we would know how you vote. Right? So, so it doesn't matter. But we all have, here's a group of people, and I'm going to think of them this way. Is, is that one word or two or three words that you thought of, does that define every person that votes as Democrat or votes as Republican or votes as an independent? No. But yet as a group, here's this kind of mentality and, and thinking that we would have towards that. Okay, so here's what Paul's saying. He's saying you as a group. You as a church, you collectively. So, so that passage that we walked through last week, like you individually would put away falsehood, but you as a group, like you're not going to promote falsehood. You as a group, you're going to be honest. You as a group, you are not going to be angry. Like you as a group, you are going to sin not in your anger. Like so yes, group is made up of individuals, and so the individuals contribute to this, but there's this group thought going on. So before we go any further, what about the church? Like, what would, what would people say if we fill in the blank, right? Like, the church, the followers of Jesus, those people are such, what's the answer? Like, what do we think of? What does the world think of? Right? For many of us, maybe the word hypocrite would jump into our mind. The world thinks followers of Jesus are such hypocrites. Right? Let's take it at another level, a little more specific. Those people that go to gospel community, those people are such loving, kind, compassionate arrogant and selfish? What would they say as a group? What, how, how these people would interact with one another. Right? You, the, the picture here is what? Is that you, you, someone would show up and here's the church gathered and this is the experience that they have in the church gathering. But not only that, but as you, we would scatter into our communities, like here's people that, that would come into contact with, with us in some way. Like that small group that meets at that coffee shop every Tuesday morning. Like, like those people, is, I'm going to find them as a group of three or four. Like, how is that defined? Like, that's the idea that Paul is writing here to the Church of Ephesus. So let's just remind ourselves. From last week, uh, what should we do? Uh, we as a group should be honest. We should be giving. In fact, we should work hard so they have extra to give. We should talk differently. We don't uh, use unwholesome speech, but we use speech that we'd encourage and build up. We forgive. We're kind. We're compassionate. So what does that mean? It means in every area of your life, we as a group look different than other groups. Right? Like followers of Jesus are going to look different than, than other people. He, Paul doesn't say, hey, the temple in town, that Artemis temple, Temple Diana. He doesn't say take what they got going because they're one of the most popular places on the planet at that time. Like take what they got going and just put some Christian sprinkles on top and call it your own. 
Like, no, he says you're completely different from that. Like, your group is going to look completely different than any other group, right? And it's going to be in a good, good way. Who's going to say, oh, that group, they're honest, man. I don't like them at all. They're loving and compassionate. Like, like what jerks? I can't stand loving people. I can't stand forgiving. No, these are all good things that, that Paul is calling the church to do. All right, so, so here's this group effort. The church would gather together, and, and this is what we should be known for. Okay, so Paul's going to kind of continue that in, in chapter 5, verse 1. We're just going to go through five chapters. Five chapters. We're just going to go all five chapters. We're going to go through five verses uh, this morning. But let's read those, and then we'll dive into the text. Verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself, gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man, which is idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Uh, this passage is going to keep going. It's going to keep going to about verse 14, and I just don't feel like we're going to have time for that, so we're going to cut it off there at verse 5. Okay, verse 1, though, let's dive back into the text. Therefore, this therefore uh, probably hinges on a lot of what we talked about in chapter 4. Right, so how do we start chapter 4? We started chapter 4 with this idea of walk worthy of this calling with which you've been called. Like you as a new temple, chapter 3, this new people that God is forming, you're called to walk worthy of that calling. And so what does that walk, what does that look like? We talked about it at the end of chapter 4, and he's going to kind of continue that thought here in chapter 5. Uh, but you are now supposed to be what? This new people of God, this group effort, if you will. What should that look like? He says you are to be imitators of God. Like, like you are to look like, act like, and talk like the creator God of this universe, the holy one that we sang about this morning. Right? The Greek word there just means to mimic. Like you are going to mimic and look like him. Okay, so, so what does that mean? It means us as individually, yes, we need to look like Jesus more. But it's not just us as individuals, it's us as a group. Like as a group, we need to look more and more like Jesus. So what does that mean? It means everything in, in chapter 4, 25 through 32 that we talked about last week. Like all of those things are found in God himself. He's not commanding us to do something that he himself already hasn't done or who he isn't already, who he isn't. Like he is these things. This is who he is. When we just think about the life of Jesus, like, like what was Jesus when, when, he, when he walked on earth? Well, he called himself gentle and lowly. He would define himself as someone who is gentle and humble. And we saw that even in Ephesians 4 verse 2. We think of Jesus, we think of someone who is compassionate. We think of someone who is submissive, Philippians 2, who would, who would put himself under uh, this, this, the, the commands of the Father and even to the point of death on a cross. Right? We, we think of someone who loves the unlovable. Like, like that should be something that would define this group. Like, like this is an, an outcast. This is somebody who, who nobody in this, this community would reach out to, and yet here's a group of people who says, no, we're going to love the unlovable. We're going to reach the brokenhearted. We're going to reach the outcast. We're going to reach the downtrodden. Why? Because that's who our Savior is. That's who we're supposed to look like. Right? And here's the struggle, though. The struggle is that every human who's ever lived on planet Earth follows somebody or something. Right? That's the temptation. The temptation isn't that we, should we follow Jesus or should we just not follow anything? No, the temptation is do we follow Jesus or do we follow something else? Right, and so we see the church, American church today, uh, we can probably think of different places where it's like they are following the world and yet they're putting the, the Christian flair on it and calling it good. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying, no, we're not following the world. We're not looking like the other temple that's in town. 
And he's going to call them out here in just a second. But, but we're not going to look like that temple. We're going to look completely different. And what are we going to look like? We're going to look like our Savior. We're going to look like the God, the creator of this universe. Like, that's what he's calling us to look like. And yet so often we have this temptation to say, well, I want to fit in. I want to be, you know, maybe that's, maybe I don't want to be too holy. I don't want to be too crazy. I don't want to be too far following Jesus because then the world might think me really strange. And so I just, I, and, and we try to balance it. We try to do these things. We're going to see in this passage, that's not what God's calling us to. Right? He's saying, here's this wholehearted commitment as a group that we would follow after Jesus. So what does that mean? It means that if someone walks in this room this morning, not perfectly because we're all still sinners, but at some level, they would have a better picture of who God is because they've, because they've sat here with us and they heard our conversations and they've seen how we've interacted with people and they would say, wow, I don't, I don't know if I love that. I don't know if I love their God. I don't know if I believe in their God, but there's something different about them and they proved it as they would gather together as a church. Why? Because they're not following the things of this world, but they're following the Savior. Right? What else does he say there in verse 1? He's going to be imitators of God, and, and he, he gives us kind of a reason uh, for us to be imitators, if you will. Be imitators of God as beloved children. I don't know if Austin knew uh, what I was about to say this morning, but what his comments before one of the songs this morning is spot on. Like, we're going to follow him, we're going to look like him, we're going to talk like him, we're going to act like him. Why? Because we are loved by him, because of his love for us. So we go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Right? But God, who is rich in mercy, even when you were dead in your transgressions, he made you alive together with Christ. Like, like even at your worst moment, he comes and rescues us. Right? The temple in town in Ephesus, what, what is their way of thinking? Their way of thinking is you, you pay money. Uh, your way of thinking is you do certain works, you do certain activities so that the God might not be angry with you anymore. Like, I've got to do enough good to save, uh, save myself from the wrath of this God who's, who we would go into the temple and worship. And yet Ephesus, uh, Ephesians 2 is what? No, this God has come and rescued you at your worst. Like who doesn't want more of him? Who wouldn't say, no, I want more and more of the Savior. I want more and more of Jesus. I want more and more of the Father. I want more and more of his Spirit. Like I want more of him, not less of him. I want to look more like him, not, not more like this world. And yet again, we struggle over and over again to believe that we are loved by God as God would love us. He says there that you, uh, he calls us children, right? And it's, it's no shock, it should be no coincidence that the word imitator and the word child is in the same sentence. Why? Because a child looks like they're a parent. A child looks like the person they belong to. A couple of you guys are, are somewhat new to our gathering. Like if we lined up all the kids, uh, all whatever we got of them, and we lined up all the parents, and we didn't necessarily put the kid with the parent, you probably could. You probably could be like, that kid looks like him. And you might not put husband and wife together, but you probably could put kid with a parent together. You probably be like, mm, yep, he looks like you. Right? That's just how it goes. Parents look like their kids. This is another somewhat worthless illustration, but we're going to go for it. Uh, on the way home from practice the other night, me and the two older boys riding in the, in the forerunner, driving down this road. We're taking the back roads because sometimes I just get tired of the interstate. And um, there's houses, like five acres, and every house in front of it has a pond. And so one of the boys, I think, asked, why does every house have a pond? Maybe I asked. I forget how it started. And one of the boys said, because they like to fish. And I was like, great thought, but you're not right. Uh, maybe they do fish, but that's not the point of the pond. So I began a 30-minute, probably, not discussion, lecture on why these people have ponds because they need the rain to go somewhere the lowest part of the yard and they want to take that dirt they made pond with and put it underneath their house or their house. Like, whole thing about rain and drainage and about three seconds in. Like, like we're, I'm not even done with the first sentence and I thought, I am my father. Like, I had, the sa- I, I had the same exact conversation with my dad, riding in a truck, talking about ponds and rain. 
Like not just a similar conversation, like the same exact, like I, why am I saying this? Because my dad taught it to me, right? We pull into the driveway and man, I'm just like my dad. What did I do? I gave him a quiz over the conversation. Well, not even a conversation, over the lecture I just gave them. Well, what do you think about this? Why don't we have a pond? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I, oh, the thing that, and I love my dad. Like it's not a bad thing that I'm like my dad, but it's like as a kid, I'm never going to be like that. I'm never going to grill my kid over a pond. And yet here I am doing the same thing. Right? And my boys would probably tell you all the time, like riding in the truck, who knows what the conversation is going to be about. Right? And I felt like the same with my dad. Like my dad used opportunities in the truck to teach, to, to lecture. We, we couldn't go anywhere, so you're going to learn something. Right? And I found out me to be just like that. Okay? But if we were to take that spiritually, right? You are a child of God, but do you look like him? Have you hung out with him enough that, that it's rubbed off on you? As a, as we as a group, do we spend enough time in the word of God and around him and, and singing praises to him and encouraging one another with hymns and psalms and spiritual songs? Like, have we spent enough time together as a group that when someone would walk in here, they're like, wow, you look like God. Wow, you are just like your father. Or, or would it turn into like, yeah, you're, you're, that was interesting. Like, that's what Paul's saying here. You all are imitators of God as beloved children. Verse 2. What does it look like to imitate God? Well, he's going to tell us. Verse 2, walk in love. Like, like 1 John 4, 8, God is love. So, so this isn't something that he is. He's not just loving. No, he is love. So if we've encountered God, we have encountered love. And so what does that mean? It means we're going to look like our Father, and our Father is defined, uh, described as being love. And so what does that mean? It means our lives should be characterized by love. Like we as a group should be known as a loving group. Followers of Jesus around the world as a group should be known as a loving group. And can I just say, sadly... I don't know about this group right here in this room, but sadly, the church is getting further and further away from being known as love. Right? We're known for a lot of things, and we want to stick the church, not necessarily me or this church, but like just church in general. We want to make a stand politically, and we're known more for a stand that the church feels like they need to take politically than we are known for love. Right? Paul says, what? God is love. Like, like we should look like him. He's our father. We're his children. So what does that mean? It means we should walk in love. Our lives, our, our group life, if you will, should be characterized as one of love. Now, the question that all of us, like, uh, like those trying to trick, trick Jesus, would be like, well, what is love? What does that look like? You know? uh, and so Paul, knowing that that's going to happen, tells us, just as Christ also loved you. Okay, So you love as Christ loved you. Well, how did he love me and gave himself up for us? What does he mean? He means there's a, some sort of sacrificial love. The, the, the love that Paul's talking about is going to cost us something. It's not just convenient. It's not just easy. Paul's not saying that's not love. Like that's, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about something that costs something. There's a sacrifice to be made for this love that Paul's calling us towards. And what does he say about that sacrifice? says that this offering and this sacrifice was to God. So, so Jesus uh, offers up a sacrifice to God, not necessarily to us. Like he saves us through his death, but it was in a sacrifice to God. And, and the last two words there is this fragrant aroma. You can go back to Exodus and study this out, but the picture of that is a well, well-pleasing sacrifice to, to, to the Father. What is he saying? When we walk in love and we look like him, it is well-pleasing to the Father. And yet so often we can be known for so many different things. And Paul's saying the, the, the defining characteristic of the church should be that you look like God and who is God? He is love. 
verse 3, Paul's going to let us know, here's things that, that we shouldn't have in the church. Here's things that we shouldn't be known for. He says, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you. Okay, think about context again, right? Ephesus, Temple of Diana. This, this is their worship. You go to the Temple of Diana, and at some level, you experience immorality and impurity and greed as, as some part of their worship service. Like you would pay money and, and into the temple, and, and this is what you get. This is, this is some sort of thing that you would participate in. What is Paul saying? He's saying, that is not you. Why? Because that is not God. And again, what, there's this temptation to say, like, like this is the, the most money in one building on planet Earth, historians would say, is in the temple uh, of Diana. Like at that time, they have more money in one building than anywhere else on the planet. Like beauty and splendor and grandeur and glory, like all these things to describe. How easy would it be to be like, hey, let's just steal what they're doing because, man, our church will grow. Like we could just copycat what they got going on, but make it a little bit more Jesus friendly. Man, moneymaker, right? Large church, big building, lots of cool things. And yet Paul's like, no, no, no. What's happening in that temple? That's not named among you. Like, maybe that used to be what you participated in. Maybe even last week, some of you reading this letter participated in that. But today, like, now that you're a follower of Jesus, this is no longer part of your life. That way of worship is gone. You see here immorality and impurity. Uh, last, maybe not last week, a couple weeks ago, we saw impurity with greediness. Uh, here, it's impurity or greed. And so this uh, different preposition in between those two words. And so it's, it seems to be a separate category. So, Right? Immorality, impurity, we kind of got those things. But then I feel like he just kind of lumps a lot of things together. And he says, and here's greed, like a desire for more. Like you're never content. You always need more and more and more, which turns into this hedonistic culture that says, I'm just looking for the next pleasure. I'm just looking for the next thing to try and satisfy my life. And, and I think that's the picture. And Paul's saying, no, 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 that's not part of your life. Why? Uh, look at the end of verse 3. Because it's not proper among saints. Right, which takes us back to the beginning of chapter 4, that you would walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Like you've been called by God to live differently, to live something better. Like there's something better for you as a follower of Jesus than, than everything else that's happening in the temple in town. Like you're a new temple, you're a new people. You've been called to something far greater than this. So don't become like them. Verse 4. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting. So again, like, like don't participate in the actions of that. But then you get to verse 4, and it's this idea, don't even talk about those things. Like, like we don't even come in here and make jokes about the things that would be taking place in that temple. We don't, even, we don't even brag about the fact that we're not doing those things. Like, there's nothing, there's no part of that that needs to be part of our conversation. Like maybe uh, individual level, you want to explain things that are happening in that temple, why we don't do that, cool, duly noted. But it's like we're not going to make jokes about the world and how lost they are and how horrible they are. We're not going to make jokes about what's happening in the temple of Artemis. Like, no, we uh, don't want to even be known for these things. We don't even want these words to come out of our mouth. And yet he says at the end of verse 4, like those words don't come out of our mouth, but there are words that should be coming out of our mouth. What are those words? He says the giving of things. Like, we have a God who, who satisfies. We have a God who would meet all of our needs. We have a God who, who is more than enough, we could say. Right? And so how do we show to the world around us that we don't have to have a life full of greed, full of wanting the next thing, wanting more and more? How do we show the world that we have enough? It's because we are thankful people, and we broadcast that. We, we make that known. We speak words of 
thanksgiving to one another and to our Savior for what he has done. Like, I, I don't need more and more. I don't, this greed idea is not part of our life. Why? Because we understand who God is. Because we have a relationship with him. Because he is enough and I can be thankful. I said this last week. There's this church uh, growth model and they have give you all these ways that you can grow your church, right? What is Paul saying? He's saying you're going to grow the kingdom. You're going to grow the church. You're going to grow this new temple, these new people. How? By loving one another and by being thankful. Like you're going to look different. Uh, some sort of, I know this is scary for some of us, but some sort of attractional model uh, where, the, where, where people want to be part of the church. They want to join into this group. Why? Because they love one another and they're not greedy and selfish and self-centered, but they're thankful for what God has given Right? Like that's what Paul says the church, our church, the church in general should look like. Verse 5 then. For this you know with certainty. I feel like uh, verse 5 is, is, is becoming less and less certain in our culture. But it seems very clear from Paul uh, that this is quite certain. And not only is it quite certain, but that you reading it would know that this is quite certain. That no immoral or impure person or covetous, this idea of greed, uh, covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Right? Like, like we would read that uh, and, 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 and that's sometimes hard to swallow. Right? If you're immoral, impure, uh, you're covetous. Like all of us would struggle with covetousness, right? And he says, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let's look at uh, another passage that Paul would write, just for some clarity. If you write in your Bible, I would encourage you to write 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. through Paul writing to the church of Corinth, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Like, we just kind of said that, right? Like, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so what does Paul say? He says, let me uh, explain to you a little bit more of who these unrighteous are. Uh, do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindles will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so at some level, that sounds not fair. And yet, what does Paul say in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6? Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of Lord Jesus Christ in the Spirit of our God. Right, what is he, what is he saying? He's saying, uh, Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. God has now made you alive. You should look different. You should look, 1 Corinthians 6, like someone who has been washed. You should look like somebody who has been justified. You, as a group, shouldn't look like the dead people that you used to be. You, as a group, should look completely and totally different. And in our culture today, there's less and less of the church looking different. There's less and less of it, and more of the church looking more and more like the world. And yet, what is Paul saying? He's saying, like, like this is, uh, let me maybe actually explain it this way. In verse 5, like, if this is the characteristic of your life, right? If, if we mess up time and time again, like, if we're sometimes covetous and we go through even maybe a, a season where, where we're really struggling with greed and wanting more and not finding satisfaction in God, like, we've, we've blown it in this list. Like, like we, we had too much to drink or we, we did something that was wrong. We went too far. Like, okay, that's duly noted. That's covered by the blood. But if your life is characterized by these things, like he says your life should be characterized by what? By love, by this giving of thanks. If your life is characterized and somebody says, hey, what do you think of that person? And they say, that person, they're immoral, they're impure, they're covetous, then what is Paul saying? 
according to Ephesians 5, according to 1 Corinthians 6, he's saying maybe you were never washed. Maybe you were never justified. What would he be saying about a whole group of people that would gather together and, and still participate and are still known for the things in verse 5? That maybe this group isn't really followers of Jesus. Maybe this group has missed it. Okay, so what is Paul saying in this passage, these five verses, going all the way back to verse 1? What is he saying? He's saying you should look like God. That's it. Like, you should look like the one who loves you. You should look like your father. You need to look like him. Us as a group and us as individuals, we should look more and more like him, not less and less. Right? And so, so all of this, again, what is all this pointing to? It's all this is pointing back to Ephesians 3, that we are this new temple. And what does the temple do? It shines forth the glory of God. And how is it going to shine forth that glory into a dark and dying world? It's going to shine forth glory in the world around us as we would be imitators of God. And so what does Paul say? He says, here's how that happens. More love, more thanksgiving, less immoral talk, less impure actions, less of those things, and more of these good things, even found in Ephesians 4, 25-32. Right? So, so may these things be true of us. Right? May we be known as the people who love. May we be known as people who are thankful. Going back to this whole, that we would show forth the glory of God to this lost and dying world around us. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for this letter to, that Paul wrote to this church in Ephesus. Thank you that we get to, to study it and, and know it. God, as individuals, help us to look more like you. Help us to look less like the world. Help us to look less like um, just the, the world would be chasing after more. The world's chasing after different things. And God, we should be known for love and for giving of thanks, being satisfied in you. God, I pray as a group, that this church would be looking more and more like you. God, I pray that this church would go out into the community that, that our name would be known not for our sake, but for your sake, that your gospel might go forth. And as our name as a church would go forth, that, that we would be known as a church that people who love. And maybe we disagree on certain things. Maybe we disagree uh, on theology or way of life or way of thinking or whatever it might be. But God, we're still known as people who would love. May that be the defining characteristic of this church, as we would be followers of you. We pray for our discussion group that is to come. Uh, we pray that you give us wisdom. Help us as we would talk about this passage that we studied this morning. Uh, we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.